0: Those are some of the things going on in the church, which maybe leads right into an obvious question, an assumed thing for us. What is church? What is this thing we call church? Well, it seems to be a voluntary organization. Nobody, well, if you're over a certain height, nobody forced you to come, right? It's a voluntary organization of, of people with shared interests, values, or beliefs who freely choose to associate together. Is that what church is? Is that church a voluntary organization of people with shared interests, values, and beliefs who freely choose to associate together? As long as you're over, or above a certain height. Otherwise, you may not have had a free choice. Well, if that's church, then what makes church different than the Rotary Club? Or a homeschool association? Well, you say, no, no, it's shared spiritual beliefs and purposes. Okay, a voluntary organization of people with shared spiritual interests, values, and beliefs who freely choose to associate together. So then, what makes church, other than which beliefs, what makes church different than the synagogue down the street? Or a mosque, for that matter? Is Church any different than those? It's just a different set of beliefs. You say, well, we have the right beliefs. And you can narrow your definition down to church from there that may leave out other churches that don't fit into your right beliefs. Is a church simply a voluntary organization with shared spiritual beliefs, values, interests, activities? Is the church simply a theological or spiritual organization? Co-op, a cooperative. We freely associate together with shared purposes, shared beliefs, shared values to comfort one another in those, kind of like a club, or maybe to advance those, kind of like a political action committee. What is church? The New Testament, fortunately, you're not left to Bob's um, wonderings and ramblings here. The the New Testament has several different ways that it describes and thus defines or identifies church for us. One of those is the word church itself. Church means, that word ecclesia means a called out assembly, a group of people, uh, a special specially gathered, privileged persons, typically in the societies of the first century, a called-out group of people called out for a particular purpose of God, a called-out assembly. That's true. One of Paul's leading descriptions of that church, that called-out assembly, is church as family. Now, family, that's a good analogy, right? That's a good metaphor for what the church is. In fact, it's, it's more than an image. Because we are not merely like family, we are family. We are all, we, it's not that we're like children of God, we are children of God. So we are family in a sense, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. So that is not merely an image, there's something of true identity or, or, or truth in that. The church is family. The church... is is referred to by Paul as the bride of Christ. That's a strong image, the bride of Christ. In fact, it's, it's more than an image. There's a unique relationship and intimacy between Christ and his bride that his bride is made like him and for him in ways that echo out of the book of Genesis chapters 1 and 2. That there's this unique relationship and intimacy that that actually I want to talk a little bit more about next week. I said in the blast this was going to be our last Sunday in this God Came Near incarnation series. But I've been thinking in the last couple of days that we should take one more step. And that'll actually be getting a little into meddling because we want to unpack this thing a little bit more. What is it as the church, as the bride of Christ? That's a step further from this idea of incarnation, but it's worth unpacking a little bit more. So I'll save more of that for next week. But what I'll say so far this week is that God does not use that bride imagery to as something that is real that we know, just to draw an analogy to the church. Actually, what if the church is the bride of Christ, that God uses that reality of the church as the bride of Christ, what he does in chapter 5 of Ephesians, to use that reality that the church is the bride of Christ to teach us something about how we should live in marriage together. Like I said, I'll leave off there because actually Paul moves from that bride imagery into another image that comes much closer to incarnation that I want to talk about this morning. And that is the church is the body of Christ. In Ephesians chapter 5, verses 28 to 30, we are told to love and to care for our wives. He moves from marriage into this imagery. We're told to love and to care for our wives as our own bodies. He said, which one of you doesn't care for your own body? When your body grumbles, I'm hungry, you feed it. When your body says, I'm tired of standing, you sit it. You care for your bodies. When your body has an ache or a pain, you, you try to do something about it. If it gets hard enough, men seriously enough, painful enough, men might even go to the doctor, right? If we're really threatened because we care for our own bodies. And he says, even as we care for our own bodies, love your wives as your own body just as Christ does for the church For we are members of his body. He uses that reality of the church as members. We are members of his body to inform our understanding about other things. How we care for our own bodies and how we relate to our wives in marriage. There's a reality of Christ's body, the church, that teaches us how to love rightly. My point is this. Well, my first point. My first point is that we are the body of Christ ontologically. I was looking forward to using that word. We are the body of Christ ontologically. What does that mean? Well, I don't really know. But it has the idea, it's, it's, a, it's, it's an adverb that relates to actual being. And anytime you're getting into the, word, the, the verb to be, is, are, was, were, that defining that is a lot of words used for not much because we know what that means. It is. So the church is the body of Christ. As a matter of our true and essential being, we are the body of Christ. It's not an image that tells us something about church. The church is body of Christ really and truly not metaphorically or allegorically ontologically as a matter of being we are the true and real and literal in-fleshed body of Christ now you see where i'm going in terms of this is an incarnation message, this, we're, we're continuing that study as we did prior to Christmas, leading up, that, that God came near, that, that the incarnation is God coming into humanity, that God is in flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, is embodied. God is translated into humanity, and he takes on himself human flesh forever. But there's more to it than that. He joins himself to humanity. He doesn't merely he himself become humanity. He joins himself to humanity so that we would be joined to him. We are his body. We are in Christ. He is in us. Our salvation is being united with Jesus in his person. The incarnation continues. That means our salvation is not merely a transaction. We think of our salvation, that Jesus came and he did something for us in order to give something to us, something called salvation. We're thinking about it a little wrong there. We're thinking about it transactionally when actually Jesus is our salvation. We are not merely saved because of Jesus. We are saved in Jesus. We are only saved because he has joined himself to us in a way that his death becomes our death. His resurrection becomes our resurrection. His life is our life. The life that he lived for us is now our life because he joined himself to us. Now that's a little ambiguous. That's a little fuzzy. It's a little ethereal. I can see that on your faces. You're a little worried. I'm supposed to understand this and I don't. It's okay. I don't understand it either. But don't tell the elders, okay? No, this is bigger than I can wrap my own head around. It's like, but I've been reading this book for a long time, this Bible, and I I, I I, still can't really get my head fully around this. I can nibble around the edges. I can grab hold of some of the implications of it. And that's what I want to share with us today because our experience, all of our life and human experience tells us that this really is my body. This is the only body I have. But now that is stretched into something completely different that this actually merely helps me to understand what the reality is. And the reality is beyond beyond my experience, which is that we are Christ's body. The incarnation didn't merely happen and complete at his ascension into heaven, but we are in him and he in us, and he has joined himself to this new humanity that he has created, called the church, such that we are the body of Christ. He prayed to his father. He said, I pray that the glory that you have given me, I have given to them so that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved, loved them even as you loved me. That he has so joined himself to us to bring us into relationship through him with the Father. Our relationship with God is only through Jesus. There is no mediator between man and God except the man, Christ Jesus. That doesn't really mean that Jesus, because he was also the man, he's able to be a good lawyer for us, a good representative on our behalf in heaven. No, it means that in him we have access to the Father. In him we have relational connection to the Father. The gospel of salvation is not merely about a debt that was paid, but it's about a relationship restored. It's about humanity now being brought back into relationship with God. In fact, being brought into the relationship that Father always had with Son because now we are in the Son. That is true there. That is true here in that the Son is in us We are the body of Christ. It's not merely a collection of people with shared interest, and we're trying to get our interest all the more on the same page all the time, trying to corral us together in the same direction on a shared vision and on a shared mission. The vision is Jesus. The calling of the church is to be Jesus in the world. That's why Paul in his letters, he speaks so much about being in Christ. It's it's an abstract term. We don't fully get it. But he says we are in him, that we are seated in the heavenlies in Christ, where from where you're seated, it doesn't look very heavenly. But we are in the heavenlies already. We are fully righteous before God, even with what you were up to last week, or yesterday, or the argument this morning but we are fully righteous before God in Christ. We are in Christ and his righteousness covers all of us. We are Christ's body and the Christ's body died to sin and rose from the grave to live new, no longer bound to sin. That's who we are. The eternal God from outside of time sees you differently than you see you. Do you buy that? Just Although you can't see you the way that he sees you, you got to take his word for it, but can you accept the fact that God does see you differently than you see you? We see ourselves in time. We remember, well, a little faintly, some of what was, and we anticipate through veiled glasses, we, we anticipate what will be what we're told and believe about what God has said about the future, but our experience is in the present. God is not so bound. God is not so limited. He doesn't have a poor memory. He clearly knows the past and the future together all at once. And he sees all of it and us in all of it. God's perspective of us is there you are hanging on that cross. Dying for sin. There you are, risen from the grave. There you are, standing in his presence, perfect and complete. God sees you in all of that because God sees you in Christ. Our grasp of that is weak and kind of tentative and a little fuzzy. But trust this. God's view of you is more full, is more accurate than your view of you. We are way too wrapped up in our view of us, in other people's view of us rather than in God's view of us because others' view of us is a little closer to our experience than God's view of us. God's view of us is you are, not merely I decided to join a church, you are the body of Christ ontologically, that is, that is an essential aspect of our being. It is who we are. The life in Christ. This new life as a Christian then is simply, I say simply not because it's easy to do, it's, but it's basic in terms of definition. It is stepping into that. It is experientially living in that identity that I am. We are the body of Christ. We are this one new man. We are living the life of Christ as the body of Christ. Christ lived, this part is simple. I live my life through a body. Jesus, in the first century, lived his life through a body. Jesus, in the third century, the fifth century, the 15th century, in the 21st century, lives his life in and through a fleshly, physical body called the church. We are the body of Christ. That's what it means. Not merely a group, not merely an association, not merely a club, but not an organization. That's why we say the church isn't an organization, it's an organism, but we don't really know what we mean by that. That is literally true. We are the body of Christ, and he lives his life in and through the church. Not merely using us, he has joined us to him and that we belong in his life. Joined in one body, as one new man, this enfleshment of the risen Christ, that's our new life. We are one body, we are one new man, essentially corporate and relational. The body of Christ, as a body, as plural together, many members, one body, has to be relational. Now, would you turn with me to Romans chapter 12? I promised somewhere in the title or on the, on the note sheet there that we'd get to Romans chapter 12, so let's do that. Let's fit that in. Romans chapter 12, and what I want you to look for here, I want you to look for that relational aspect, members together as we read. Romans chapter 12, and you'll hear some echoes here that I, I alluded to with the, with, with the kids and other key body passage is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I didn't go to 1 Corinthians 12 this morning because 1 Corinthians 12 is agenda driven. Paul is using that truth of the body to relate to a particular issue where in the Romans letter he's he's, he's more giving genuine truth or general truth that the, that the church needs to grab hold of without poking at any particular agenda or problem in relation to it. So Romans chapter 12 Beginning at verse 3. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Hey, pause there for a minute. <laughs> Go in your mind back to Philippians chapter 2. Back to that Classic incarnational passage where we are told not to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. We are told to consider others more important than ourselves. We are to have this mind in us, which is also in Christ Jesus, who humbled himself rather than regarded himself in his own position. And Paul brings in that same incarnational exhortation or challenge, application, here Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members. For as in one body, we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, through many, are one body in Christ. So he takes what we know Human body with its many members with different different functions. Eyes see, ears hear, fingers can grab and pinch. Okay, I've never been able to pinch anybody with my knee. I guess two knees together could kind of pull that off, but it would be really awkward, right? Different members have different functions. He says that's the way it is in the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the reality that he's talking about. We are individually members of one another. He speaks those as, again, ontological truth, a a truth of being, a reality. Having gifts, then, that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. He assumes that we're all different members. We all have different giftings. Nobody has it all. Nobody is complete. In order to be complete, the, the members of the body have to be together as one. There's a unity together that together with all of these various gifts functioning together, and this is not an exhaustive list, but he's probably felt the list was long enough at this point to make the point, but, the, but these gifts multiply, these multiple gifts together together. Individual members in one body make up one whole. So, we are individually members of one another. We are one body in Christ. First of all, it's essentially relational. None of us has it all. We all need one another in order to show the life of Jesus rightly. It's a corporate thing. It's a relational thing together. Now, consider for a moment As we went down that list of the gifts, the manifestations of the Spirit in the church, which he calls the body of Christ. Think about this list again in terms of these are the things that Jesus did in his fleshly body in the incarnation. In the first century when Jesus walked the paths of Galilee he did these kind of things. What kind of things? He exercised the gift of prophecy as he said I am the premier prophet. I am God's messenger. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. He he in his body he um he was serving in his, he came to be a servant. He humbled himself to be a servant. He was one who was teaching. He was exhortating. He gave gifts to many. He was one who led. He was certainly one who did acts of mercy. He was generous in the things that he did for others. He was empathetic and sympathetic in seeing and doing something about the needs of others these things that are gifts in the spirit and certainly you cannot deny throughout the gospels the teaching the exhortation the prophecy the the being god's messenger to the moment at hand, that these are things that Jesus did in His ministry, and these are the things that God has given for the body of Christ to still do, to keep doing, to continue in, because we are His body. Let me ask you this: Is Jesus done? We said it is finished. Is Jesus done? Is Jesus done working? How things are in the world, it's good, it's finished, I'm done. He is, listen to this young man. He said, if you didn't hear him in the back, he is not done. You are so right. He continues to do all of these things in his body because the incarnation continues. Thank you. You've wrapped it up so nicely. As the body of Christ, as the body of Christ, this is my second point. I only had two. I could be long about them, but I only had two. First of all, we are his body. You got that. I've pushed that probably far enough. As the body of Christ, we reflect the image of God as seen in the face of Christ. We do as he did because he's not done. The incarnation continues. The present incarnation by the Spirit in believers, in the body corporally—that that is our mission. A friend of mine in the church, as we were talking through these things about incarnation, I was trying to figure it out, so I called somebody smarter than me, and John Woods came over. I'm not sure if those line up or not, but I guess they do. Because he gave me this. He gave me this, that, that the mission of Jesus, the mission, Jesus' mission gave The mission Jesus gave to his church. See, I can't even say it like you you did, John. The mission Jesus gave to his church is to go and be me. Not to go and be like me, but to go and be me. We are the body of Christ. The life of Christ is lived out in us and through us for the same purpose of showing the Father to the world, of representing God, of being God's always intention for humanity over and in his creation as jesus did he has sent us go as my body in the world to be me and you say that's a big call i'm not jesus no you're not and you're not the body you are not the body the church is the body of christ and each all you got to do is be a thumb i warn you sometimes you'll get smashed but the whole body will be with you in it. You see, the whole whole experience of the Christian life is not what we want it to be. But that was the experience of the incarnate Christ, of Jesus embodied then, and so why would it be any different? That's why he says, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The persecution of the body of Jesus isn't something new, it simply continues we are his body, to go and to be him. We are members of one another. So 1 Corinthians 12, 12, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so also is Christ. This is a fascinating phrase. We, 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 we run through that and we say, yeah, there's Paul using that analogy again. But if we was simply using an analogy, a metaphor, we'd expect him to say, as the body is one and has many members, not the body is on, the body is one, Bob just left off an E. As many members, all the members are of the body, though many, are one body, so also is the church. But he doesn't say so also is the church. He says so also is Christ because we are so united with him. We are his body is not an image. It's not merely an expression. It's not just something we can get our ha- a handle around to try to figure out what then we're supposed to do. Our mission is to be Christ in this world. It's not a sometimes mission. It's not something we, we pick up and put down. It's not sometimes we're on the clock, sometimes we're off the clock. It is who we are. It is our identity and a shared identity together as one new humanity. As Jesus in the incarnation showed the Father to the world, we show Jesus to the world so that they can know the Father. They'll see him in us still. We think the church exists to worship God and to carry out his mission in the absence of Jesus. Now, because you've been listening a little, what's wrong with that statement? The church, the mission of the church is to worship and carry out God's mission in the absence, to worship God and carry out his mission in the absence of Jesus. What's wrong with that? The absence part. That's what's wrong with that. The the mission of the church is to carry out, is to worship God and carry out his mission in the presence of Jesus as the body of Christ. The the mission of the church is not the imitation of Christ. I know I might be messing with a good book in the process. The, The purpose of the church is not the imitation of Christ, the calling of the church is the participation with Christ. We are in him. We are his body. He is in us. And again, it's relational, it's corporate. We cannot do that individually merely. We have to do it together as one part of a greater whole. Even our church does not fulfill this. We fulfill this together with others as a part. Of a greater whole. The church together is his body. And we in this church are his body expressed. Jesus enfleshed in our community. In the places he sends us. As his body, we have fellowship with him. We will long for fellowship with him. As as those who are born again in Christ. We will long for fellowship with Jesus. With the father. Or maybe I should say in Jesus, with the Father. We long for that fellowship and we find it in living out his life in our life. We have our best fellowship with Jesus. In the least of these, we give a drink of water to in his name. We have fellowship with Jesus also as we explain and show him And teach something of him to others who don't know him. Using Moses and all the prophets and the gospels and the letters. We are walking with somebody on the road to Emmaus. Because we are Jesus in flesh. We are the body of Christ. Jesus extended mercy. In his healing and intervening, often not to draw attention to himself, not to prove who he was, but often it was ad hoc. It was on occasion. It was along the way. It's somebody that he just happened to meet. But in that happening to meet, he's again revealing the empathy, the sympathy, and the seeing and noticing of the Father. All through his life, he's showing us what God is like and God sees and God notices and God cares and God hurts with and God meets and God does something about it one way or another. And so Jesus sees these needs along the way and he meets them and he's merciful. How do we care for the needs, the brokenness around us? This is something we there's much around us, I should say, that we cannot do, but what can I do? What help can I give? We're limited, we're, scared. we're scarred, scared, scarred by our own past. I grew up poor. I grew up not having much, holding tightly to what I did have. I, I didn't grow up thinking I needed to give to others. I grew up thinking I needed to receive and get from others. And what I had, I carefully guarded and kept because I didn't know when there would be more to be had. And and, uh, I was going to need this. And I have to intentionally give. I have to intentionally be generous because I'm still scarred by my past, by who I was. And that, that scarring, that past that still echoes around in my head keeps me from fully stepping into and more exuberantly embracing the reality of who I now am in the body of Christ. Now, I would be past all of that easily if I was given the gift of giving or generosity. Apparently I wasn't because I still have to walk with that and I need within that body those who are because I'm encouraged by them. They show me, they remind me. I'll tell you a little pastoral secret. One of the things that I am blessed by in memorial services is hearing these testimonies of what this one's life meant to others and how they gave of themselves in this way and that way. And that gives me a hands and feet example that I could lean a little more into. Because I need other people in the body to help me to experience that aspect of the in-flesh life of Christ, that his life in me. And me trusting himself. You could say, well, come on, don't be so hard on yourself, Bob. You're like me. You want to hold on to what you've got. And you, you, you could quote me all kinds of proverbs that, that talk about you know storing up for the future. And we could also re- remember that Jesus says to us by his spirit, sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Saving is not wrong. Hoarding is Saving is not wrong. Planning for the future is not wrong. But Jesus freely gave all that he had because he knew that his Father had him. He could yield up his body because he knew that the Father had him. Can his body yield ourselves up to him because we know that his Father has us? Not only did Jesus extend mercy and give and meet needs, he declared and taught what God is like and how to have a relationship with him. An essential part of being the body of Christ is not merely living out that life of Christ and showing what the Father is like and the things that we do and how we help and ways that we serve. But Jesus, you look at the Gospels. How much of the time is given to what Jesus was teaching, or explaining, parables, and then parables explained, sermon on the mount, sermon on the level place, over and over again, the the Olivet Discourse, the, the discourse in the upper room, long stretches of teaching, explaining, revealing who God is to others who desperately need to see him clearly. That's an important part of the body of Christ. It plays itself out in things we do together. It plays itself out in things we do from here. He declared and taught what it is like, what God is like, and how to have a relationship with him. And so an important part of being the body of Christ is building the body of Christ in the works of Christ, in the words of Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. I'll have a couple of verses, I think, on the screen, but not all of it. If you want to turn there, you will, you will have all of what I'm reading. But there's an emphasis here, and again, another one of those classic body of Christ, church as Christ's body passages. So we've got Romans 12, we've got 1 Corinthians 12, we've got Ephesians 4. The focus here isn't outward, but it's on the body. Even as that analogy earlier showed us how that one cares for their own body. And so also should we. He gave the apostles, the prophets, in verse 11, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Now, I take that building up in terms of strengthening. I also take it building up in terms of growing and reproducing. Evangelists are in there, right? That's clearly the purpose of evangelists, is to evangelize, to share the gospel that others might believe and also be saved, and the body grows. The body is built up. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, we know him through his teachings and we know him through experiencing his life. Both are joined together there to the mature humanity or manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that Christ's likeness is lived out and fulfilled in us, that we are being transformed from glory to glory into that same image. The likeness of Jesus is seen in us, his body. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we are no longer children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemings. There are way too many distractions in this world that pull our heads and our hearts away from our central identity and thus our central purpose in living as the body of Christ to show him in this world. There are many distractions. They come in all kinds of clever ways. Rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by that which every joint is equipped when each part is working properly some translations when each part does its part makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love the body is added to and the body is strengthened together by that which every member within the body supplies we need each other that's why we one of our one of our essentials here is we want want to be united together in corporate worship as whole body and we want to be united together in smaller groups, connection groups, where we know one another, where others know me and I know them and we can, we can share what is really going on in life and things that we are struggling with that we, we want to step into and yet, yet it's, I'm, I'm scarred by my past. And we need one another for that. This is intensely relational. You need the gifts that others bring into relationship. Jesus balanced and interwove relationship and mission. He withdrew from people in the crowds, but not to be alone, to be with his Father. And like worship and like body, building itself up in love, on the mountain, his prayer with the Father prepared him to choose the twelve. In the garden, his prayer with the Father prepared him to lay down his will even his life. So that also was relationship even when he withdrew. His ministry was essential relational whether it was with the 3 Peter, James and John, whether it was with the 12, whether it was with crowds or multitude, whether it was an ad hoc occasional encounter with one person like that woman who reached out and touched the hem of his garment. We can expect those kind of relationships with threes and twelves and with the person you'll meet today or tomorrow. Lord, who would you bring across my path? Lord, who would you direct my path toward that you might use me in the life of somebody to show them something of Jesus because they desperately need to see him. They may not need to see me, but they really need to see him. And that's what we want. Jesus was not on mission, off mission. His life was his mission. Called to display the heart and mind of God in human life. You say, well, how can I do that? Well, Jesus had the word and Jesus had the mind of the spirit. And so do you and I. We have the word of God. We know what God has said. We have the mind of God by the same spirit of the Lord that was upon him is upon us. So that we can live out this wondrous calling. Of being the body of Christ, Jesus, in flesh in the world today. It's bigger than we can imagine. Let me give you one example of that Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This mystery, this great mystery that the Gentiles, the nations, that we are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel that we are part of this thing. Part of that thing that we're a part of is that we are members of this one body, the body of Christ. And the purpose there, we pick it up in verse 10, so that through the church, the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known. Through the church, the wisdom of God is made known. In the Proverbs, the wisdom of God is personified. Wisdom calls out in the streets. The wisdom of God, the mind of God lived in human life was personified in the incarnation. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us moved into our neighborhood. And the wisdom of God is personified, he says, in the body of Christ, in this neighborhood, and before all of heaven. Look at it again. Look at verse 10. Got to find verse 10. There it is. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known, not only in our neighborhood, but to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. When the church is living out our identity as the body of Christ, in fleshing Christ in the real world, angels look at that and they marvel, Peter says. Demons look at that and they tremble. Because when we stand in faith in him, the enemy has to flee. My point is this our fullest, richest spiritual experience of this new life in Christ will be as his body, living together as the body of Christ in this world, in our neighborhoods, living out his mission in relationship with Christ and one another by the Spirit. We're not going to do that as a a weak, we're not going to do that well as a weak body, as a tired body, You know, I was thinking of the aging process. Maybe I dwell on that too much these days, sneaking up on me. But, you know, there's things that happen in our bodies. We're tired, we're worn out, we just don't want to. Couldn't we just watch TV? And uh, I don't remember things quite so clearly, like what was going to happen this morning. I won't tell you what I forgot, but I did. And uh, sometimes I'll look at somebody and I... You say, you're way too young for this, Bob. I don't remember their name. You do it too. some of you, anyway. Along the way, we forget much more, even you know, about who we are and who people around us are. And maybe those things about aging within our bodies are to warn us about something, about weakness that can easily creep into the body, the body of Christ. Let the Spirit of the living God also give life to this mortal body. Not tired out and out of shape. Not letting ourselves go. Not foggy minded and not remembering who we are. But clear on this, I am His hands to serve. We are His feet to go. We are His voice to teach. We are His arms to embrace. We are His body to show the likeness of the Father to the world that they might know him and also be reconciled in his son. Fulfilling our mission to go and be Jesus in relationship with the Father and one another by the Spirit, building up one another, reaching out to those around us. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we... We don't want this to be true because we know that it is. Instead, Father, we, we want to step more into it. We want to not, it's beyond us to plunge, Father. We want to take a next step, though. We want to take a next step in terms of that connection with others around us. That we as individual members of the body would benefit from the body as a whole and not be free-range members cut loose and on our own amputated in a sense from who we are in Christ. Father, we want to grow from those relationships together that together and in our own life experience, we would show something of Jesus to the people around us. That just like children relating to a family, that what we do individually would reflect well on Jesus because of how it shows something of him that the whole body shows well. Father, would you give us those ad hoc encounters, those occasions today or this week to be Jesus, whether in, a, in meeting a need in kindness and mercy, whether in giving a word that points toward the Father and his Son. Lord, Would you, by your spirit and by your grace, strengthen the body of Christ to live his life in our lives for your glory? One step more, Father. That's what we ask in Jesus' name. And all who agree said, amen.